0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, back inside the Morton studio today after a very fun Ag PhD field day yesterday. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to do a little field day review, talk to some folks who were at the field day, kind of get their take for what they saw and learned and, and what their feeling was. Also, it, it is a Farmer Friday, so our phone lines are wide open. If you are at the field day, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines are Uh, Again, open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or if you just have an agronomic question or you want to talk about what's going on in your farm, that is cool, too. We all want to hear that. Honestly, one of the things I I really like at the field day is getting the crop report because there are folks who are driving here from all over the country. And at the end of the field day, I was talking to a farmer from southern Indiana, and he said, man, just driving across on I-80 they were stopping every so many miles and, and checking out the corn crop and that kind of thing. And you just don't get a better crop report than that right in the middle of the season. I, I realize there are tons of different projections about what the crop's going to be. But hearing from actual farmers who are looking at actual fields, I think that's pretty valuable. Brian, uh, I know you were super busy. And oftentimes at the field day, we're, we're each running different directions, talking to different people. What was your take? I thought it was a great day.
1: Well, first of all, I got zero crop reports from anyone because we were too busy talking about weed control. I think I had the question about controlling hemp or palmer pigweed a million times yesterday, and and uh, I mean, we knew that was a big problem for a lot of people, but apparently more and more continue to struggle with water hemp and palmer pigweed control. It's a tough one because if you look at it, that weed, and I call it a weed, there's I still view them as the exact same thing. You can tell me all day long they're different weeds, but I view them as the same thing. Same methods of control. They can both put on a million seeds per plant. I mean, it's so tough. They can grow two, three inches a day. So if you don't get ahead of it, you're in trouble. And that was probably the biggest thing that I talked to people about yesterday is, you know, what most people right now that I see out there doing weed control, they're doing a good program. The problem is with water hemp, you have to do a great program. Otherwise, you just can't get ahead because it's such a prolific seed producer and it it seems to thrive in almost any environment, even when you have crop canopy in some cases. So like soybeans, that's where people struggle with it the most. And I just said, look, you got to do the three pre's and use a yellow, not a group 15. And the reason why I want you to do that is I I do want you to use a group 15, but use that early post. Use a group 15 plus another PPO like Flexstar or Cadet early post so you when you do that you do the three pre thing like we always talk about and then you do this uh double shot of uh uh, of early pre and you need two modes of action early pre or early post you've got five modes of action that you will have used by the time your soybeans are four inches tall four different modes of action five residual uh products that's what it's going to take and I, I just said, one of the groups I was talking to yesterday, I said too, look, I know right away you're going to say, oh, I can't spend that much money. And I go, really? You can't spend $20? Come on. It's not even two bushels of soybeans. And I'll promise you, water hamper, palmer, pigweed is going to take way more than two bushels off your yield if you let any out there. So you've got to get 99 plus percent control off, right off the bat before you even talk about the post-emerge contact killers. We've got to have great, great control, and that's the big thing that we're missing.
0: Weed control is absolutely a big topic, no doubt about that. But the other thing that that was really a big topic yesterday was equipment. We saw autonomous vehicles running at the field day site, which was really cool to see. Actually, this it was kind of strange to see it first, but then by the end of it, it was, we get kind of got used to it, and it was really cool. Lots of different well, planters wait a there. No, oh. people
1: weren't getting used to it. There were literally still people walking in front of the autonomous vehicles because you know normally when you go to a farm show, you walk in front of stuff, and uh, whoever the driver is, they'll stop. Well, <laughs> I mean, now granted, they have safety features on there, and nobody got run over or anything, but there were several of our people that go what is wrong with some of these people that are walking in front of a machine with no driver and they just walk right in front of it and it's moving out in an the, in the actual field. So we had to block stuff off a little bit so people didn't continue wandering in front of it as it's going through the field. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, there there was a lot of neat things, uh, or there were a lot of neat things to see there. And I think um, when we look at all the different planters that were on hand, got a lot of attention with planters this year, just with some of the conditions growers were planting into. I talked to a number of growers who said, you know, I just didn't have – enough down pressure to really get to where I wanted to get with my seed. I had hard ground. Others said my ground was so loose and so soft, struggled with seed to soil contact. And it was really interesting just talking to the wide range of farmers who were there and planter issues were were really a, a big topic that I ran into. Also, just there hasn't been a big farm show or field day for a long time. And people were so happy to be out in the field again.
1: Yeah, for two years, basically. So it it has been a while and people were excited. And I told a lot of our volunteers and our people that work the show the night before, I just said, "Um, be ready to talk because people are more willing to talk now than they have ever been because they've been cooped up for a year and a half. So I I mean, people don't want to be locked down. And they want to get out and talk. And now they especially want to get out and talk. And so later on in the day, I, I started talking to a, a bunch of the, a bunch of our workers there, and they just said, yep, you were right. People really wanted to talk today. So anyway, it was, it was a lot of fun. And for anyone who joined us, we really appreciate you being there. We'll have the Ag PhD Field Day again next year. It's always the last Thursday in July.
0: Alright, so it is a Farmer Friday today and we're taking calls really on anything you want to talk about. You want to talk about the Ag PhD Field Day, that's fine. You want to just talk about crop conditions on your farm or any mid-season things that are going on in your fields, that's great. Or if you just want to call in and and uh, talk about farming a little bit, that's fine too. 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. we got a number of people are sending in Pictures from the field day or pictures from their field, plant tissue tests around this time of year. Those things are great. Radio at agphd.com once again. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. It is a Farmer Friday, but also a field day review show. The Ag PhD field day is a really big event for us. And, and so we're kind of winding down after that too. Still, still coming off that big rush and all that work that's gone into it. One of the folks that was there was Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, thanks for joining us today. Hey, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and Darren. Well, I got a chance to catch up with you just a little bit after the field day yesterday. Sound like you were busy. Oh, it was unbelievably
3: great program. A lot of people came by our uh, tent and talked with us. The uh, fantastic conversations. People wanted to learn about equipment, or a few who had it were asking a few questions. Had uh, a lot of uh, farmers come by who had bought our closing wheels in the spring and uh, stopped by to tell us what an excellent job were. You know, there were a lot of cases that uh, farmers had bought a few closing wheels, and they were stopping by, hey, I want to fill out the rest of the planter with those. And uh, are they, uh, what's the price, and are they available, Uh, what's going to be taking place, things like that. A lot of interest, a lot of good questions. Uh, Everybody's starting to wind up or get geared up for uh, storing grain, so a lot of conversations on uh, fan controls and the green temp guard monitoring equipment. So it was really a good day. I really enjoyed it.
0: You know, the, the monitoring equipment, that was one where I know I talked to a few folks who said, okay, you guys talk about this all the time. Who do you work with? And I said, well, go talk to Tony over there. And that was one of the things where, where farmers are saying, you know, this is an unusual growing season. I know I'm going to need some help come fall. So what, what did you tell those, those people, uh, Tony? Because th- there were actually questions literally from across the country. I know we had some Canadian folks that were asking about it as well. Yes. The, um,
3: a, lot of, a lot of conversations were wrapped around the end zone fan control. Uh, talking about uh, beans and a lot of people naturally air drying their corn. Uh, the, uh, so we were talking about using the uh, end zone control to either accurately dry to an endpoint, or everybody talks with the soybeans too, especially after the last fall. Everybody, a lot of us want to start early and, and get those uh, beans out a little bit wetter and save the shatter loss. But uh, the dry conditions, uh, Mother Nature gets ahead of us, and pretty soon we've got dry beans. So a lot of conversations on that. From there, we, we talked about having like our uh, alarm HT, which is humidity temperature, and that's the, uh, we're using the humidity and the temperature in the airspace around the grain in the bin to identify what is occurring in the bin for our drying process. We're uh, adding moisture back to uh, uh, wheat or uh, soybeans. And I know there are other crops that I'm not as familiar with, but uh, I, I would talk on things I had familiarity with rather than getting off topic. A lot of topics on that, uh, discussions on that. A few uh, looking at uh, just monitoring temperature, like you say. Run it through the dryer. We want to keep track of it uh, after that and do a good job. Uh, just a wide variety. It was
0: really good conversations. All right. Also, a lot of folks wanted to talk about how the crop's doing. How is your crop down in Iowa? What, what do things look like in your area? Where I'm at now, I'm, I'll add a little bit to this. A few weeks ago I went
3: down to Arkansas and uh, we're I feel like we've been quite dry dry here although we got a light rain here this afternoon Um, as I drove around the country you come down south came back up to Illinois wet conditions so you see the typical ground outs areas that are with moisture stress leached out the nitrogen things like that Uh, central uh, Coming up through central Iowa, thought it looked all right, maybe not as nice as uh, maybe we got here. When I got home, I was looking at the fields after having seen a lot of areas, and I thought our fields actually look as good as any I've seen, or maybe a little better. They were even, but we were right on the edge of being dry. You'd see in the afternoons, the leaves are curling, the beans are uh, puckering a little bit. Um, the day I'd come back, we got a rain that afternoon, and uh, things looked good. We went through, kind of got to that dry point, and uh, another inch of rain. So our crops visually look good. I wonder what the impact's going to be on our, uh, our ear size. The, uh, I've not gone out and looked at any of that yet. The, uh, the soybeans, we need to keep getting that rain so we can keep uh, setting pods. Keep that bloom going longer. Yeah, no doubt so, about that. Uh, they, they look pretty,
0: but uh, I just feel like we're on the edge. We just need that rain to keep coming for us. Yeah, we sure do. We're talking with Tony Wendler here with Farm Shop MFG. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciated having you at the field day. Thanks for being on with us again today, too. Hey, hey could I add one point real quick? Sure. For anybody who's not been to the
3: Hefties field day, 20 years of experience, they run that program like a, with military precision, getting people in, thousands of people going through plots, educational programs. They have uh, multiple tours where they'll take people through, feeding the masses. There's no long lines. It is impressively organized, and I recommend anybody who wants to go out and see a lot of different uh, tests taking place in plots, a lot of varieties of just interesting things to show, equipment, educational programs. It is worth the trip out there. And the last thing I wanna add for the anybody who attended and anybody who's listening to the uh, radio show today, we've got a promotion code, AgPhD2021, which will get 10% off any of our uh, end zone or green temp guard equipment through next wednesday so hey darren i appreciate it Uh, you have a great weekend
0: you bet you as well tony yeah we gotta rest up that was a that was a busy busy day no doubt about it uh we got joe with us now in indiana joe thanks for for calling what can we do for you
4: well uh we're uh we're just looking at a fantastic crop here in southwest indiana in the river ohio river bottoms outstanding what we're uh yeah, how often we, uh, do how often do half. you get that?
0: Get a good crop and a decent price too. That's that's kind of a that's a home run for farmers.
4: It it, it just doesn't happen, does it? And we uh, we planted uh, all of our corn in April and eighty uh, percent of our beans in April, and and we because the two May's before we'd had a flood at the top of the levee uh, in the middle of May, and this year we didn't. So things things are looking amazing.
0: Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Okay, so talk to us about what was planting like? Uh, were you happy at planting time or did you have some struggles there?
4: No, uh, uh, we, we've been living the dream. For a river bottom farmer not to have any river in April or in May is amazing. So 80% of the beans planted by April 15th and we started corn the next day and got done before the end of June with corn. So we're uh we, we couldn't have had it any better. And like I said, six and a half inches of rain in July so far.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So talk to us about what's the farm economy like in, in Southern Indiana, are guys doing pretty good there or, or are the egg bankers happy or, or there's still some struggles?
4: Um, there's always struggles, but, uh, but everybody uh, seems to have a good crop growing here and, and that makes the the equipment dealers are, are happy that people are out buying stuff and, and uh, with COVID uh, messing up the supply chain so bad, they, they can't get everything in that they want to get in on time. But So we've got a, a new tillage tool ordered for fall, and we're not sure if it's going to show up or not.
0: Yeah, that is that is tough. I know that was a lot of discussion at our field day, too, with just what's going to happen with some of the supply chain things. And, and some of it is interesting. We're hearing uh, products that were tight are now available. And uh, I talked to a farmer who said, yeah, I got all my equipment uh, all my parts finally are there <laughs> some of them i wanted at springtime and and i just went and picked them up because i wanted to make sure i had them in time
4: amen we uh, we rebuild our planner uh this july while uh, instead of waiting until this winter to do it just to make sure we had what we needed
0: yeah yeah i think that's a good that's a good strategy well joe hopefully that good weather keeps coming for you guys i'm really happy for you to get an excellent crop this year i uh, hope the year finishes out strong
4: Yeah. Thank you very
0: much. You bet. Thank you. You know, it it is awesome. I'm so happy for people who are successful, and and there's so much challenge in farming. When you actually get a year like that, where you get a good crop and a good price, uh, it it is to be celebrated, no doubt about that. It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back.
2: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions
0: for full details. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do.
2: Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions.
4: Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash Howler to learn more.
0: farmer friday and ag phd radio and it's also friday of ag phd field day week and wow we had so much fun yesterday at the ag phd field day we lucked out we got beautiful weather once again and uh, just had a fantastic day one of the farmers who was there is our friend kevin matthews from north carolina kevin thanks for joining us
5: yes sir looking forward to getting back to north carolina
0: you bet <laughs> do you have any voice left after yesterday it looked like you were busy all day long talking to other farmers. to
5: Yes, goodness, you and Brian do such a great job just keeping us covered up. It's amazing. <laughs> work us hard.
0: oh, that's okay. That's okay. You're used to hard work we know We know where you're at in North Carolina. We know what it takes to to put together a good crop there. It's not easy what What is your crop looking like? I really didn't get a chance to catch up with you on your crop
5: it you know it looks really good, but as I always say we're we're ten twelve days away from a drought or a disaster, so if we can just avoid hurricanes. We could really have a really good crop, and it'd be a blessing for all the growers in the state. We've been hit pretty hard the last four years, so it'd really be nice to get that good crop in.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely due. There's no doubt about that. I was talking with Matt Miles a little bit, and and uh, he's coming up a little bit later in the show. I think we're gonna chat with Matt, but but I asked him who's got the best who's got the best crop out of all the guys with Extreme Ag, and he's like, well, he goes, I can't I can't comment on my crop, but he said out of all the other guys, he said I think I might take Kevin Matthews this year. He goes, it seems like for once the cards might be uh, going his way.
5: Yeah, we was reviewing tissue samples uh, on the crops. They come in yesterday evening, so we sat down as a team, we had Brian Cornelius and uh, and uh, Agriliquids uh, team on it, and we was all looking at it with Agris and Agriliquids. So That's just such an awesome opportunity to share it with those guys and ladies. And it looks extremely promising. It's some of the best tissue numbers we've ever had on our farms. But we got to finish it that fourth quarter, as Mister David Hula will say, can really tire you up.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is for sure, no doubt about that. And uh, what's kind of fun too, watching your operation and how you guys do things, is just that you got the family involved. Uh, I know I saw your daughter Danielle at the the field day too, and uh, getting that next generation going. We get so many questions about that. Uh, do you find that a tough challenge or is that a fun, fun thing to do?
5: Well, I think it's the opportunity. I got to see how I've seen so many farmers that love their job so much love their occupation and they was hard letting go to let the next generation come in and you know matt and myself kelly all of us guys and lee you know we're just so excited that the next generation is interested and we're wanting to give them all the rope we can but we don't want to hang on but we certainly want to you know keep them humbled and don't let it get a big head when you have a good year because you're going to have a bad year so it's just exciting and i was really impressed with the number of young growers that was at the field day new growers that we hadn't seen in the past and gosh they all, they asked some awesome questions i mean they they some sharp young farmers out there
0: I agree. Yeah, this uh, this next generation coming up is they're going to do some great things. There's no doubt about that with the technology they're going to have at their hands. And and you're right, they're they're asking challenging questions, which is great. I, I'm glad they're getting involved in some of that decision making at an early age. Okay, so you've been to Field Day a number of times. Uh, I know you got to look around a little bit there. You weren't working the entire time. Is there anything there that you said? Wow, I didn't know about that, or I'm really excited about that new technology.
5: I believe the the engineering guys there uh, you know laying that corn seed exactly with the tip down, you know, that that was pretty cool. This you know, placing that seed exactly where you want it in the ground. That's that's getting that's getting pretty precise. That's getting exciting. We gotta see what it can do on a yield.
0: Yeah, I agree that the uh, the aerotube system was something new, and there there were new technologies there that, like this one, that aren't even on the market yet. And we just want to get uh, people exposed to some of these ideas and concepts of what's coming, because one of the things that I know talking with those guys is, well, here's the thing: if we can do this, but now having good seed is going to make even that much better. Uh, it's going to make the technology work that much better. So what I mean by that is, let's just say you're planting a small flat. Well, there might be a variance in that bag of 10% in the seed size. It's all small and flats, but some of them are a little bigger than others, and that does make it a challenge to to get everything planted right. So it may change some of the technology and seed processing along the way.
5: I think it's going to be interesting. The one thing I've got to say is, I've had the opportunity to speak at Farm Progress. I've spoken at many different shows, traveled all over the country and and uh, but the job that you guys done this year, I mean y'all got your game hat on last year during COVID and really did some awesome planning. That was a beautiful sight. I mean, it was everything was immaculate the way you guys had it laid out. The the grass, it was neat, you kept it irrigated during this bad drought that you guys have faced here in South Dakota. I just I just gotta commend y'all on that. Absolutely awesome job that you did. Setting the the site up, the facility. It was
0: pretty cool. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Yeah, when you get two years to plan something, <laughs> you can really you can really try and work on a lot of those things. But man, we have such a great team here, as you well know, and you've gotten to work with a lot of our team members. But but Glenn and his whole crew at that field day site, and uh, Brett and Dania and their crew, and the planning, and just all the folks that make it all happen. It it, it takes a big team, no doubt about it. We got some really great people. We're really fortunate. Well, Kevin, I know you got great people at work around you too, and we and you got a busy busy schedule trying to get back home. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. We really appreciate
5: it. All righty, I'm gonna get on this airplane and head to North Carolina. Thank all right. you, sir.
0: You bet. Yeah, it was a fun field day, no doubt about that. Kevin just mentioned some of the brand new technology that was there, and there was technology that you would expect to see, uh, you know, brand new things like the X9 Combine from John Deere, and uh, there were new product launches there. I think we had 11 national product launches at the Ag PhD field day. And just talking to some of those um, companies, we, we talked to them about, you know, hey, well, We'll be happy to have you do your launch here if you want. And but why why are you choosing to do the launch here rather than some of these other shows out there? And they said, you know, we've just got active farmers who really are going to dig in. Kevin kind of got to it. We we get such great questions, and and we really appreciate everyone at our field day. And if if you were at the field day and were one of those folks asking the tough questions and uh, taking things to the next level, we really appreciate that. It it's really fun to be around other farmers that are thinking. Uh, not just about, oh, okay, that's a cool-looking closing wheel, but uh, Tony Wendler, why is that germinator closing wheel getting better seed-to-soil contact? Explain it to me and help me understand what I'm looking for in my soil so when I get back home, I can do a better job. That, that's just super, super important. Uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback here, too. I got this from Derek. He said, I uh, wanted to thank you for another great field day. I almost feel guilty not paying admission and eating all day for free. You know, I I probably ate too much as well, Derek. There's a lot of good food there. Uh, He said, I wanted to to ask you a question, though. I didn't get a chance to ask in person. He said, I've got a nice bean field, and I expect to do well, except for about five acres. My landlord put up a building, had all the pre-planting field work done, and the day before I planted, the contractor decided he'd help me out and level some of my field. I'm guessing that he stole all my humus because the beans came up great somewhere between V2 and V4 they just died. I have a thought about getting a cornstalk bale and tilling it in after harvest. What would you do on a piece of ground like this where where you lost topsoil and lost humus? Uh, And uh, Derek's in central Nebraska. Well, thanks, Derek. You know... One of the uh, sessions that I was in, there was a a grower there talking about how where manure had been spread 30 years ago. They were still seeing a difference that having that soil life going was that important. So if you've got a spot where they stole topsoil and uh, you've got no humus anymore, you're basically farming subsoil, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be a challenge to turn it around quickly. I one thing a couple things I would do I would use manure if you could I would use uh, any of the biologicals that you can get out there and probably the more species and the higher doses the better There's a product called Decomp that I like quite a bit in this situation I agree with you if you could get some crop residue out there so there's some food for for the microbes some nitrogen and and other fertilizer inputs if you put a complete balance of fertilizer out there and get some manure out there and yeah and add some beneficial microbes that would be a great start also it may be something where since you don't have that humus adding some humic acid would be a good thing as well thanks for the question derek really appreciate you coming up to the field day as well we'll get right back to more farmer friday right after this
2: In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Dicon IGR and Sentinel EC Insecticide, or Dicon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. In celebration of the AgPhD Field Day, FarmShop MFG is giving 10% off end zone fan controls and grain temp guard products. Sale ends midnight, August 4th. To get your discount, visit FarmShopMFG.com and use the coupon code AgPhD2021.
5: Come on
0: in. The Ag PhD Mailbag is about to begin. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today, broadcasting from the Morton studio. And uh, wow, it was, it was a fun day yesterday. I know you've heard me say it several times. I am still riding that high from the Ag PhD field day. However, we weren't able to get to every question everyone had, and we got a number of questions that have come into the Ag PhD Mailbag we're getting to now. Our phone lines are still open at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you have any agronomic questions or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Okay, I got this one in. He said, uh, we are in India and we enjoy your information, but wondering could you translate all of your video as well into our native language? That would be more helpful for us. No, I appreciate the the email. Thank you for that. We really like that that there are a lot of folks around the world we get to compare notes with and and we'd love to hear more of your agronomic questions. Uh, However, we are not a translation service, but there are lots of people in India who also speak English. Our challenge is finding people who also speak farming uh, because some of the the terminology and and things that are going on in agriculture – the translation services don't do a great job. So, nope, we don't do that. I'm sorry, but uh, hopefully you can find somebody in your country who will. All right, get another one here, and you're going to like this one, Brian, because we're talking soil testing. This one's from Joe. He said, I am now an agronomist in northern Minnesota in my first year as an agronomist here. However, the first nine years of my career, I spent studying soil tests in northern Indiana up into Michigan. Now, as you know, the soils in northern Minnesota are quite a bit different, and I'm going to be managing a lot of acres up here in northern Minnesota, so I'm looking for some advice. I'm used to seeing base saturation K levels 3-5% to 5% plus, with CECs in the 5-10 to range, and our pH was typically low, maybe around 6.5 on average, and we were using the Bray P1 phosphorus test in those low pH soils, often finding uh, levels in the 30 part per million range. That's what soils were like in Northern Indiana and Southern Michigan. However, I know that 98% of the soils I'll be testing up here will have a high pH. Most growers say their lowest pH stuff's around 7.3. So I understand you guys like the Olsen phosphorus test as a more accurate measure in those high pH soils. Uh, as just one simple change. Uh, but here's a couple of the questions I've got for you. I'm told that cation exchange capacity is not as important up here because our calcium carbonate levels are throwing the CEC numbers off in some of the soil tests. Incorrect. Do you find that to be true? We do not. Okay. Also- uh, So
6: in other words, because that soil pH is high, so 8, 8 2 that means that yield is impacted negatively. If we could get that pH down into the 6.5 range, then yield for corn, soybeans, and wheat would be better. Now, there are some crops that don't mind high pH. So let's take barley, for example. If you have a 7.5, 7.8 pH, your barley yields barely hurt. Uh, wheat's a little tolerant, Uh, we've got alfalfa that's at least more tolerant. So there are, now alfalfa you don't want to go all the way up to 8, but I'm just saying there are some crops that like lower pH, some crops like higher pH, so it depends a little bit on specifically which crop you're talking about, but no. I, I mean for corn soybeans, and well corn and soybeans especially, your yield is hurt because your pH is too high.
0: Okay, and uh, then he said, other other advice that I've gotten is we need to be testing for copper levels, that there are some issues here. Correct. Uh, we need to watch organic matter level and obviously pH Wait, closely. wait, wait. What do you mean watch organic matter level? On the soil test, that, that there's some wide differences there that they're looking at, apparently, is what I'm guessing here from the from the. We test. always have to look at organic uh, matter. Also, they said the most important data that they're looking at on soil tests, potassium levels, salt yep. levels, uh, yep. and sulfate. salt and sodium, Yep. He said, this, however, will be the first time that that looking at ratios with K, magnesium, and calcium are maybe not as important here as where I'm from, or am I missing something? Nope, they're just as important. All right, so his last question, what could my growers do with the analysis of the other nutrients by adding other ones to my default test? Well, I'd say this, uh, Joseph we would strongly recommend just taking a complete analysis like you've been doing. Look at all those micronutrients in addition to the primary and secondary nutrients. We look at the base saturation levels a lot and it really doesn't matter where we're at. We're still looking at much of the same thing. Now granted there are going to be some different challenges in northern Minnesota than what you have faced before and and some of the things that were high there might be low where you're at in northern Minnesota but you've got a lot of potential up there. You've got some excellent ground in a lot of cases and some really good farmers. So yeah, do the complete analysis and don't let anyone tell you, oh no, you can't change the pH. You can't make that pH go down. No, we know farmers that absolutely have. The other thing that we found too, up in the Red River Valley, we were talking to a farmer who had, I'm trying to think, Brian, was it 30 years of soil test data from their farm or 40? I was thinking
6: 50, but anyway, it was It was
0: a long, long time. And what they saw is way, way back, their pH was neutral or even a little bit on the low side. And over that long period of time, over a generation or two of farming, their pH was now high. And so they were talking about that of, man, it was better than it is now. And so it may not have always been where it is. You can definitely make some changes. So don't be afraid. We just encourage farmers to try things on a small scale. And maybe you take one little field and say, let's let's try elemental sulfur. Let's try putting our drainage tile lines even closer together. Let's try some different things. Because even if you spend a few thousand dollars on a small field, uh, many of these farmers are spending millions of dollars on inputs uh, over a just a few years what's a few thousand dollars here or there to try something that might make them a lot more money for the rest of their career so don't be afraid to try some things and and of course send us a couple soil samples Joseph from up in your area we can compare some notes on them thanks a lot good luck with your new job I got this one from David. He said, you guys have been talking a lot about spider mites. Obviously, you got a dry year, so maybe they're going to be more of an issue for you. I'm just wondering, how do they actually damage the plant? What do you see when you get a spider mite outbreak?
6: Yeah, so with spider mites, unfortunately, there is no established economic threshold that we know of in any crop. But I would say this. We are most concerned in corn at the ear leaf wheat at the flag leaf, and soybeans, the upper leaves when the beans are, are potting especially, and even when they're flowering. In terms of what you're going to see, it, it looks like uh, speckles on the leaves. And one of the best ways to scout for spider mites, since they are Very tiny, yeah. Obviously, you can take a magnifying glass out there and try to look at stuff. But a lot of times, that guys will do is take a white piece of paper and shake the leaf over it, and uh, and then look at the piece of paper because then you ought to see some black dots there. But the scouting is just not that easy. I like scouting for big insects like grasshoppers. It's pretty easy. You walk into the field, you see, you either see them or you don't. But spider mites are a lot tougher. I will say this though, on our farm we this coming week are going to spray a second time for spider mites in all our soybeans so I'm a little discouraged by that but that's just the way that the weather's been this year and honestly Darren I thought that in July since our humidity really picked up we probably had 65% average humidity in July that we would not have this problem but I think there were just so many that got going all over in June that's why we still have the problem because usually the spider mites will get a fungus in the cooler and uh, more damp climate, so that's why I just I didn't think we were going to have the problem now, but we still do.
0: Yeah, there, there are a lot of challenges with the spider mites, no doubt about that, and you certainly see it on the leaves. The leaves just start to wilt, uh, and that it's not good. You see all the speckling on there, and I know there are some leaves, even at the Ag PhD field day, we saw a few spider mites in a couple of the plants where Down at the bottom of the plant, they looked kind of frosty almost and didn't look good at all. We saw the little spider webs on there too. Not not good at all. We don't like spider mites. Uh, One other thing that can be a challenge is if your soil test is not good. We got one from Michael in Iowa and this one is going to be interesting. So Michael's got an issue with one part of the farm that's not producing and oftentimes when we see areas of the farm not producing, it's a really poor soil test. So we just don't have enough nutrients. Well, Michael said, guys, take a look at my soil test. I've got a question for you. I've got 32% base saturation K. (laughs) 32%. Wow. And uh, he said, I've got nutrient levels just out of the world. I mean, just crazy, crazy high. What do I do in this area? We'll talk about Michael's challenge coming up right after this. Stay tuned.
6: You work for
2: results.
1: That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control because the enlist system was built for your results get better
0: weed control with no ifs ands or buts at enlist.com enlist.com don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the ag phd fertilizer removal app Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
2: You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: Help keep the toughest,
2: most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open on a Farmer Friday at 844 44 ag Also, you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, which is exactly what Michael did. He sent us a soil sample of some ground with 32% base saturation K. Uh, Michael said, all right. Here's the story. We have stockpiled chicken litter in the same spot for the past four years. When we plant in the spring, we plant right through this area, but nothing grows once the plant roots down. That's fine. It's only a quarter of an acre. It's a small price to pay for for this natural fertilizer that we're getting. But here's my thought. I'm wondering, do you think I would be in, in a good spot if I could scrape this soil up, spread it onto the poor parts of my fields? The soil test shows an abundance of nutrients, obviously, and I'm in a build program with my soil fertility, and I still have a long way to go in some parts of the farm. So how heavy a rate could this be applied? How deep would you go if I was scraping it up?
6: Okay, so first of all, I I guess I'm thinking about the long term. If you're going to continue to pile chicken litter there, then it's not going to do you any good to move the soil now because you're just going to kill the next soil by piling it there. So if it's me, I'm going to try to find a cement pad I can pile it on or something like that or somewhere I don't care about because you're you're going to end up back in the same boat again. But let's say that you go, look, I'm never going to pile chicken litter here again. What do I do? Honestly, if it's me, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take the soil away and spread it through my farm. I would just try to get this ground fixed and basically getting it fixed means not putting any more potassium there for probably let's see get 1900 parts per million um 10 years uh the, you already have 275 pounds of nitrogen there so i'm not putting any of that on you got lots of sulfur there but you know what you're lacking phosphorus and zinc your phosphorus and zinc levels are really low so i would be raising my phosphorus and zinc you already have a lot of copper so usually we're talking a th- roughly a 30 to one or so ratio of phosphorus to copper and a 10 to one ratio of phosphorus to zinc if you get those things taken care of and here's the other thing you you got to improve your drainage there you have five percent sodium and you have two over two parts per million on salt uh, you're 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 too high you're just flat out too high so if you get that drainage improved and if it's me i'm doing some deep tillage and i'm putting phosphorus zinc phosphorus and zinc on and I'm just going to let her go uh, I'd put a little boron too but I i mean that's what I would do and then eventually you know in the next three to five years it'll get back into shape and there you go now, if you really wanted to spread it, what I would suggest is do 3-inch soil tests all the way down to 24 inches deep. So, in other words, 0 to 3 inches, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, 9 to 12, 12 to 15, and so on. And that will tell you how deep you would need to go if you actually wanted to take this and spread it across just a few other acres. You won't be able to spread it on very many acres. Uh, so, if it, this is only a quarter acre, I'd say at most you're going to spread it on probably 3 to 5 acres, and then you're done. But if it again, if it's me, I'm not doing that. I'm just doing some deep tillage and fixing my phosphorus and zinc and a little boron.
0: All right, thanks for the question. Uh, get this one from Lawrence, who's in Kansas. I thought that was great, Lawrence from Kansas, uh, and Lawrence sent a few pictures too, with uh, with some of his crop that he's growing. So Lawrence said, "I'm I'm 82. I'm a retired anesthesiologist, but I have a BS in technical agronomy from Kansas State way back in 1961. Got a few questions for you. I bought a farm a few years ago after a friend and and good farmer retired. He is consistently getting around 40 bushel wheat yields on this rented ground for for many years without doing much for fertility. So I attended your field day a couple years ago, attended Neil Kinsey's soil fertility meeting and watched it virtually last year. And I've gotten the wet spots taken care of. I've now one acre grid sampled it, had Neil do the analysis and the recs and put on fertility accordingly, including some dolomitic lime. My question is looking at the soil samples, it looks like I may need more dolomite lime, but I just put some on last fall. How long do I need to wait? To, to watch that break down. And he's got a few more questions I'll get to after.
6: Yep, usually two to three years. So it all depends on how much heat you have and moisture. So generally speaking, it's two to three years. Three years to be on the safe side. And quite frankly, you're really close to where you need to be right now. 6.1 pH, the the 13% magnesium is already there. So I'm probably not doing much of anything right now. I'm just going to let it sit on, on the on the lime front.
0: OK, uh, next question. He said, I'm pretty sure that I've got at least one layer of hard pan down underneath. Uh, I think I need to rip at about 10 inches to take care of that. If I'm okay. going to rip at 10 inches, what depth do I need to soil sample and fertilize at before I go back to no-till? If I want to be long-term no-till, should I drop a bunch of fertility deep? This is my one shot. Uh,
6: well... That I guess that's your call. If it's me, would I do that? Um, yeah, I probably would. Especially the the nutrients that don't move very well. So when you start taking a look at phosphorus, zinc, and copper, for example, they just they don't leach. They're going to be in your soil forever until you you have a crop or a weed that uses them. Your cation exchange capacity it looks like is eighteen point six, so it's not like super heavy soil. So I'm not unbelievably worried about the nutrients that move somewhat like potassium and manganese, for example, but nevertheless, yes, I would I would make sure that I've got a good level, not just in the 0 to 6, or like in your case, you tested 0 to 8, but down just a little bit deeper as well. So yeah, if it's me, I'm going to probably throw a little bit more potassium on, and then I'm going to get my phosphorus built up. Now, what you want to build your phosphorus okay, now, up to, that's the question. Go so ahead. So
0: here's here's the reference. He said, just for my, and I love, I love this uh, email, Lawrence. I've really enjoyed reading it. Uh, he said, at my age, and uh, he said he's 82, he said, I am not I don't care one bit about economic yields right now. I want, I want yields I can be proud of, and I also want to yield yep. leave this ground in great shape for the next person that's going to farm it. My yep. dad lived uh, until well into his 90s, and he was really active right up until the end, so I'm hoping I have that kind of timeline. So i got another 10 years or 15 years to get this done, but just wondering what you think. I, I plan on coming to another Neil Kinsey seminar if you have one again this year.
6: Yeah. So the thing is, he's already done 0 to 8, and his Malik 3 phosphorus test is 91. So it's not like that's low. Now, if I'm saying, I want an O-till, this is going to be my only shot doing deep tillage, would I consider putting some on so I get some down deep? Yes, I would. I'd, I'd, I'd get some more potassium out there. I'd probably want to build that up to, let's say, 6% base saturation K or something like that. So I may put on another – so right now he's at 300 parts per million of potassium, for example. Let's say I wanted to go to 450, just as an example. I'm just throwing this out there, okay? So that's 150 more parts per million. Well, if you multiply that times 2 to get pounds per acre in a 6-inch test uh, – you know, that's quite a few pounds. You're talking 300 pounds. That would be 600 pounds of potash. Potash, by the way, is 60% K2O potassium, but it's only 50% actual K. So anyway, um, you know, you probably aren't going to want to go all the way to 600 pounds of potash. I would, but um, i at least be putting something out there just to give you an idea. And I would work on a little bit more phosphorus and I'm with you, this is your, if this is your one shot, get some down deep. And then don't forget about your micronutrients either. Uh, so your zinc levels are, are decent. You're at five parts per million. A lot of people would say, oh, that's enough. But we find that you want to get your phosphorus to zinc ratio, roughly 10 to one or so. It doesn't have to be exactly that. So I'm building up my zinc a little bit more. Um, in terms of your copper, you're actually pretty good right now. You're at four parts per million. Usually we're talking somewhere around 30 to one phosphorus to copper, Uh, but anyway, yes, you could still do a little work. And then, uh, the last thing I would throw out is manganese. You're only at 15 parts per million. Probably need to bump that a little bit more as well.
0: All right. Thanks for that. Uh, I got this question from Mike and he said, and he must be right outside of Kansas City. So the Kansas City Zoo has been offering composted manure from their animals at the zoo. I've heard that it's well aged, so I don't worry about it being too hot. But in listening to you guys, I hear you often talk about excess salts and other things that can potentially be in manure. I'm wondering, would you trust this composted zoo manure for a home garden what questions would you ask of the people who create the compost and do I need to soil test or just get a sample of the compost
6: well we're always going to suggest soil testing because otherwise you don't know what you are already starting with and then get a test from the compost and then you know what's in that and so then we're working with concrete data and if you would like to after you sample your soil and after you sample the compost you can send us the results and then we can give you some better advice
0: Hey, thanks, Mike. We really appreciate that. Thanks for the link, too, to the the Kansas City Zoo's website about their zoo menu. That's kind of interesting. I liked reading that. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.